Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Trust you guys are well, trust you have started 2018 with a bang. Always love seeing the different looks on faces around about this time. Parents are rubbing their hands together. Teachers starting to frown a little bit, eh? But it's all good. Love it. This uh, series has been cool. Um, had the privilege of being in an amazing memorial this week. There were some comments about real jobs and not real jobs. I don't know where they came from, uh, but that's okay. Um, I, as Marcus said, I, I, God has given me the privilege of being able to work and be able to journey this thing, this theology of work, particularly the last couple of years, and I, I hope to share some of that with you this morning. But why is it important? Before, we, before I start anything this morning, I'd love to just, for us to ask some questions. And typically when we preach, just so you know, in terms of structure this morning, we usually start with a scripture, and then we go from there. This morning I'm going to do a bit of speaking, then we'll get to a scripture, and then we'll obviously have the mandatory three points, uh, which is important. So, I've been asking myself this question over the last few years, why? Why is it important? Why do I need to work? Is work important? Is work important in the context of my Christian life? How important is it? Do I just need to work to be a witness to others in the workplace? Is, is that the, the sort of the, 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 the end of it? Is that the, the, the be-all and end-all of it? Is work really a gift? Because I'm going to touch on that today. And I think for a lot of us, we often feel like work is more of a curse than a gift. And often we probably feel like actually our boss is the devil himself. And we have to process that thing and we have to work through it. And if I was created to create and if you were created to create, maybe you're sitting there going, well, I don't feel particularly creative. I'm not a creative person. So I don't really know how to process that and deal with that. So we need to kind of go on this journey of really coming to terms with and understanding the theology of work. I want to say this morning, there are probably three groups of people here today. And I'm generalizing a little bit, but I'm sure that you'll kind of bear with me and understand where I'm at with this. The first group of people here today are those who, we were at school with them. They were the overachievers. They were the ones that from this high knew exactly what they were going to do with their lives. Yeah? They just knew from the get-go, and they have charted this course. They've charted this career, this occupation. They've headed ahead of them, and they've just gone for it, and they have not wavered for one second. That's cool. They're those group of people. Um, I think entrepreneurs also fit in that group. You get uh, sort of doctors and the like, and they just, they're just going for this thing. They know exactly where they're heading, and that's fantastic. A lot of us kind of fit into the second group of people, and that is we ended up where we're at by accident. By hook or by crook, we are in the job we are in. When we, if we had to dial the clock back, <laughs> someone's laughing at me, if we had to dial the clock back to when you were this high, and we had to ask you, what did you want to do? What do you want to do when you're big? It wouldn't be the thing that you're doing right now. Yeah? And a lot of us have ended up in that place. Maybe you kind of messed up at school. Maybe you kind of messed up at your first few jobs. Maybe you messed up at life. That's the second group, and a lot of us kind of find ourselves in between that, because I kind of, I was one of those, I charted, I started this, this, uh, this uh, career, I studied for a number of years, um, 
and I'm not doing anything that I studied to do, but that's okay. The third group of people here this morning are those that don't fit into the previous two and potentially don't have work at all, for whatever reason. Maybe you were made redundant, maybe the economy has come in, it's crashed in around you, and you're sitting here this morning and you do not have work. I trust this morning that what I have to say to you will be a message for all three groups, and I trust that God will speak to you this morning. If you could go to the second slide, please, Fritz. I believe that this word, vocation, is a godly word. And if you look at the definition of the word vocation, it's an incredible definition. My eyes must be going. I'm hitting my early 40s, and I can't see the back screen anymore. So a strong feeling of, of suitability for a particular career or occupation. It actually comes from the word vocare, which means to call. To call. Now, for a lot of us, and I'm one of those included, I often would think of a vocation, someone with a vocation, is someone who's called to something. So a teacher, I believe teachers, you call to teach. Those in the medical field, you're called to the medical fraternity. Yeah, it's a calling in you. This is, there's this deep desire to do this thing. Pastors, ministry, you call to this. And for a whole lot of us, I, I'll be honest with you, I never really thought I was called to be an account manager in the IT industry. I don't think I was really called to do that thing. But as I've started to process this thing called the theology of work, I've had to realize that actually I need to change my thinking about work. That actually, where I'm sitting right now, whether it was by plan or by accident, God, you've called me to this thing. And you are in it with me. Now, potentially, it may change over time. That's okay. Whatever it is that you're doing... You have to believe that God is in it. So a couple of things. The next slide is uh, a couple of graphics that I want to show you, and hopefully you can see it okay. But what this is, this is a, a, a work-life infographic. So for all of us here, let's assume we live an average of 78 years. We sleep on average 28 years. Some of us here are a bit more than that. Not going to make eye contact with anyone in the front. Um, some of us like to sleep. This says here that we actually, the next biggest chunk of our lives is spent working. And actually, if we start adding things like education, commuting, those are all related to work, that chunk gets even bigger. Yeah? For, for the um, observant of you, you're going to enjoy the little icon for grooming. I'm not going to point it out. Um, I'm not sure where that came from. <laughs> grooming. <laughs> All good. We spend a massive chunk of our time working. And if we don't get the theology of work right, if we don't have the right view of work, that is an awful lot of time that we are wasting, that we are depressed, that we are hating this thing called work. If you go to the next slide, I, I, just had, I had to throw this in here. I, I'm quite passionate about the world of work and how the world of work is changing. So if you're my age, as indicated, early, early 40s, um, <laughs> more mid, eh? That's okay. <laughs> There's a very good chance 
that I'm going to have to, if, if I remain in my choice field, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to make changes. I'm going to have to study some more because the world of work is changing so radically. And an example of this is on the left-hand side, we have the, top, the biggest companies in the world in 2006. And on the right-hand side, 10 years later, the top companies in 2016. In 2006, there was one technology company. That was Microsoft. Okay? There were five companies in the oil and gas industry. And as some of you here today, you've been impacted by that shift. Because 10 years later, there was only one left in the top biggest companies that is in the oil and gas industry. There are five now in the technology world. So the world of work is changing. There's this, there's this comment we use often in the IT world. Data has become the new oil. And so we see this shift in, in careers. And for a lot of us, especially the, the youngsters, as Mark has often said, the jobs that they're going to be doing one day have not even been invented yet, which has an impact on things like education because actually what are we going to be training them to do? We're not quite sure. The, uh, the experts say we're in the fourth industrial revolution. And the challenge with the fourth industrial revolution is that the rate of change is so fast, we as human beings are struggling to keep up with it. So if we don't have the right view of what this thing is about, we are going to get stressed out, we are going to panic, and we're going to wonder where on earth we're in, in this thing called work, this world of work. But when we start underpinning this with a good theology of what work is about, we no longer panic. We no longer panic about these things. I've been retrenched twice in my life. I thank God that those two retrenchments came at a time when I knew him. There was very little panic. There was no panic in my wife. My wife takes most things pretty, pretty relaxed. But he had us. He had a plan, and he had us in the palm of his hands. I want to cover a couple of things related to the theology of work. Because work can't just be important because it's a big part of our lives. If that's all it is, then we've really missed the boat. And we're not living a life of fulfillment. Do you think God is interested in your work? And I'm not saying work in general, I'm saying your work. The thing that you do. And if the answer is yes, why is he interested in it? Why does he care about what you do? If we look at the book of Genesis, it says that God created us to rule the world. It says that we cre- he created us to make something of this world. So if that is the case, we potentially have to shift our view and we don't have to work to live anymore. We need to live to work. That is a fundamental shift in our thinking around the world of work. See, God worked and he created and then he created us in his image. He created us for two primary things. One is for relationship with him and the second one is to work. And it wasn't to be his slave to do the things that he needed us to do. No, no. What he did was he was the primal worker, the primal creator. He created something out of nothing He then creates creation. What does he do? He gives it to us. He hands it to us and says, you take this thing and you make something of it. So he hands over the baton of creation to us, which is absolutely incredible. When we get that, when we really have a revelation of that thing, it is a glorious, glorious thing. 
See, God gives Adam dominion. He says, subdue the earth. That word subdue, for a lot of us, is a swear word. It's like the word submission. We just don't like it. But the reality is, subdue equals dominion. And what that means is, create order out of chaos. I'm going to give you things that are messy. I'm going to let you create something of them. Make them better. Have a look. There's going to be a problem. I'm going to let you do something with this. That is the beauty of dominion. The reality is, though, God gives this to Adam before Adam sins. And I think when it comes to the theology of work, it's important for us to note that because I think a lot of us think, well, work is cursed because man fell. The reality is God gave you work before sin entered into the world. Work is a gift. However, man did fall. Man did sin. And the reality is that God did curse the ground, and he said that you are going to toil. The reality is that we live in this tension. It's just like the the tension that we live in in terms of the kingdom of God. We know that there is this kingdom that awaits us one day in heaven. But we also know that God prays kingdom now. He says, pray kingdom now here on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. So we live in this tension of kingdom now and kingdom yet to come. It is the same with work. We live in this tension of it is a gift, but it is also going to be hard. And we have to manage that tension. We have to view it, though, that it is first and foremost a gift. And that allows us to begin to manage the difficulty that comes with it. What you do is important. And I just cannot stress this enough. See, over for, it took me quite a few years to realize that what I do is incredibly important to God. It's not important in the context of me comparing what I do to what you do. The minute we start doing that, we have some challenges. But actually, what I do is massively important. I'm concerned, though, that sometimes we minimize it. Because the reality is, in the context of the church, we focus on, first and foremost, building godly character. And that is critical. It's critical because it underpins everything. Good, strong, godly character allows me to stand in times of trouble. Because I have my identity in Him. But as I progress from there, I need to realize that what I do is very important. It's not the title of your job. It's what you do. If we look in the the Bible, you'll often see that people are introduced in a certain way. They're typically introduced by their name, who they are from. So it's usually name and son of somebody. And then it tells you what they did. I don't think that's by accident. I don't think it's by accident that most of us, when we meet somebody, and someone new, we share our names. We've kind of lost the culture of, oh, I'm from somebody else. That's kind of fallen away. But probably one of the first questions we ask them is, what do you do? What do you do? And I don't think that's just to make conversation. I think it's inherently built in us that what we do is important, which is why we ask the question. I love the fact that we see Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah of the world. He comes to planet Earth 
and he gets a job. For 30 years, he works. He is a carpenter. On earth, he is Jesus, son of Joseph, a carpenter. And the reality is, I believe that that work here on earth prepared him for what he was going to do. For some of you here today, there is preparation happening. Because potentially what you're doing right now is not what you're going to be doing in the future. But if it's just, if you just see it as a stepping stone, if you just see, oh, I've just got to get through this thing because I need a paycheck at the end of the month, we're going to, you're going to fall short of what God has in store for you. He is preparing you for something more, something better than what you have today. It's preparation. If we are to live life for the glory of God, as it says so in 1 Corinthians, then we need a God-centered view of work. It's not enough that we try to honor God in how we do our work or that we be Christ-like to the people at work, which is important, or that we support God's kingdom with the money we make from work. To The glory of God must inform us and transform our view of work itself. If we are to glorify God, we need to be informed and transformed about work and the way we view work. See, to most of the world, work really is just a means to an end. Maybe it's money to buy beer. Maybe it's for a big retirement one day. Maybe so my kids can have a better life. And unfortunately, for most of us, As Christians, we see work in exactly the same way. We may be pursuing more Christ-like ends, money to tithe, opportunity to witness at work, but our view of work itself is still fundamentally unchanged. We still, still see work as a means to an end. We are using work. Never thought I'd say that. We are using work. Because remember, work is a gift. We're in it for what we can get out of it. God may be honored in the results of our work, but he is not supreme in our view of work itself. And I think therein lies a challenge. And I trust that at the end, through this series, and over the coming weeks and months, you'll begin to have a different view of work. A view that actually this is a godly gift from heaven. It's not just a job. It's not just a means to an end. What I do is important, and my view of work glorifies God. We're going to read some scripture, and I've been speaking for a little bit, and some of you are maybe falling asleep, so I'll ask you to stand um, as we read scripture together. We're reading from the book of Luke. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push him out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets Um, to catch some fish and let them down to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all night and did not catch a thing. But if you say so, 
I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And Simon Peter realized what had happened. He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please forgive me, or please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Do not, Don't be afraid, for now you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Please be seated. So this text is not usually, I don't think, used in the context of work. It typically is used in the context of Jesus calling disciples. Yeah? Jesus calling us to be disciples and be uh, beacons of hope, of light in our place of work, absolutely. But really it is around being fishers of men. But I see some great parallels, some great analogies in this text about work and the theology of work. So I've got three very simple points for us this morning, and then we're done, which is cool. The first is, Jesus is in your boat. So often, I think in this text, the boat just represents work as a tool. Okay? I'm saying this morning, the boat is going to represent your work itself. Okay? It is the thing that you do that God says is so important, that is the boat in this text. And you know what? Jesus is in it. You know what I love about this text? Jesus didn't ask Peter or Simon if he can get in the boat. He just got in. Didn't ask. I'm saying to you this morning, your boat, your work, the thing that you do, Jesus is in it. He didn't ask. He's in it. He's waiting for you. He is in the boat. And you know what? Even if you feel like you're in the wrong boat and that that boat has to change at some point in time, that's okay. Jesus is in the wrong boat and he'll be in the right boat in the future. He is in it. Why? Because he gifted you with work and it is very, very important to him. <laughs> I've been there. See, God blessed us with work. He cares deeply about your work, your occupation, your vocation. I love this, this quote from John Piper. He says, The essence of work as God designed it before the fall was creativity, not aimless random doing, but creative, productive doing. He is in it. He created us in his likeness. He is in it. For many years, especially the early days of, of coming to know the Lord, which is almost 10 years now, yeah, I, um, I would engage God in a lot of aspects of my life. I think I started with my marriage, because that's very important. You've got to engage, God, I need your help here. Um, that's, that's the first place you start. God, yes, you're in there. Then it's, then it's the kids. You know, I need a lot of help there, Lord, and I engage with him in that space. And so these, these various areas of my life, I, just, I would engage God in them. I realized he was in it. But I kept pushing work aside. Yeah? Because actually, this, this is my, my space. And Lord, to be, to be honest, you don't really have computers in your time. I'm not sure if you know much about this space. Um, so it's okay. I, I, I've got this thing. Until I, had, until I realized, actually, the decisions that I'm making 
the way that I'm heading in my career, my vocation, is just not quite working out. Maybe it's time to engage God in my boat. And that leads us to point number two. He wants to engage. He's in the boat. He's now waiting for you. How do we go forward from here? You see, Jesus says to Peter, will you push me out a little way? Peter doesn't, Peter usually back chats. Doesn't back chat. Just, yeah, cool. Pushes the boat out a little way. He asked Peter to do something small. Once he was done preaching, he then says to him, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. So he takes Peter, the way I see it, from this sort of, this task, small task, just push the boat out. Cool, Peter pushes out. But now he's got way more than just a task for Peter. He's actually got a strategy in, in mind for his work, for his business. He says, you know what, if you take your boat out there and you go drop your nets there, you're going to get an incredible catch. This, for me, is a stewardship issue. It's a stewardship challenge. Because you start engaging with God in your work and your business, he starts, there are certain tasks that you're going to need to do. He is going to guide you. And as that moves forward, he will begin to give you, I believe, strategies, plans, and ideas for what you need to achieve in your place of work. Yeah, come on. It's a stewardship thing. And some of us have to wait longer than others. That's up to God. You see, Peter challenges, uh, Jesus challenges Peter to go drop his nets one more time. And maybe the challenge for you is, there's one more thing you need to do. And maybe you've given up. I know, I speak from experience. And actually, there's just one more call I have to make. There's one more meeting I need to set up. There's this one more piece of studying I need to do. I just got to push one more time. I got to drop those nets one more time, and there it comes. But often, actually, we step back and we give up. That actually it's enough. And actually God's saying, one more. Ah, Lord, I've tried. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing there. I love, I love Peter's response. Jesus says, go drop the nets. He says, uh, master. And I can just, it's dripping, for me, it's dripping in sort of exasperation, sarcasm. It's like, we, we did this all of last night. And it's kind of like, you know, listen, you're, you're an ex-carpenter who's now doing a little bit of public speaking. <laughs> I'm the fisherman. I know what I'm doing. That's a lot of us. But I think that then Peter says the most important words. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus, and you aim to be obedient to Jesus, you need to learn to say these words. But if you say so. See, God is not scared of your arguments. He's not scared of you kicking back and saying, oh, I don't know. But if you end up with, but God, if you say so, I will do it, you'll be blessed. I guarantee it. But if you say so, Peter does it. He lets down the nets again. There's also an interesting challenge in this piece of scripture because Jesus is challenging Peter as an individual. But the blessing at the end of the day, the massive catch of fish, is not just for Peter. So he challenges Peter, and and Peter responds, listen, we worked all of last night. But then he says, but I will let the nets down again. Sometimes you are going to be challenged to risk. And you know what? Sometimes it might not work out. 
Even if you felt, I really feel like I followed what God was asking me to do, it, there's no guarantee that it's going to work. And then, you know what? You may have to take that one on the chin. But the beauty of this scripture is what God is wanting to do is he's he usually goes from the individual to the collective. I see that in the world of business, and I see that in the life of the church. So you have relationship individually with Jesus, but if you're going to live in community as he intended, you have to involve the community. You can't do it on your own. It is absolutely impossible. So what Peter does, he goes and lets the nets down. It's now full of fish. Those nets are starting to tear and break. He has a decision to make. He can either say, I'm going to take a bit of glory for myself. Because can you imagine going back to shore? Listen, Oaks, you Oaks tried all night. Nothing. Look what I did. Took all this fish. But actually, it's not going to work. Because those nets are going to break. The fish are going to be gone. And it will be a failure. What Peter has to do is he has to call his partners in to come and help him. He has to engage the community. I believe that God in your place of work, no matter what it is that you do, wants to bless the community. You will be blessed. But if you try and hoard that thing for yourself, it's not going to go anywhere. Those nets are going to break. He wants to engage the community. And that leads me on to my last point, which is this. Are you amazed? Because at the end there, Peter is absolutely blown away by what just happened. He knows they did the same thing last night and they got nothing. Jesus says, go and do it again, and they get the catch of a lifetime. James and John are absolutely amazed. It says they're amazed. He, Peter, it says Peter's awestruck. For most of us here, we know that working hard is good. We know it's good to plan. We know it's good to strategize. But we also know we need the blessing of God. See, outside of the life of God, we would probably call that a little bit of luck. I just need a little bit of luck. And a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs will tell you, I was in the right place at the right time. I had a little bit of luck. Absolutely, I persevered, and I had good plans and strategies, but I had a little bit of luck. I'm saying to you today, do we recognize the blessing of God in our work, in our place of work, and are we amazed by what He is doing so that He can get all of the glory? It may look like it was your great idea, but actually God blessed. I'm challenging you today, are you amazed by what Jesus is doing in your boat? This thing of work, it's a roller coaster. And you will, even with a good theology of work, you will have ups and you will have downs. It is a guarantee. Some of you here today probably need to make some decisions as you head into 2018. For some of you, it may be a case that you need to process change into the future. There is no formula for this thing. Some of you, change is needed, and you need to put in some efforts required in order to make that change. For some of you, you may feel like you want to change, but actually that's not the correct decision. That's actually not the godly decision you actually need to stay. Just over a year ago, I was challenged in my, in my business. A lot of people were leaving the business, and it um, wasn't looking great. And in my humanness, I felt like 
I also need to leave. We kind of went through a December holiday. I went back to work exactly a year ago, and I felt that God said that I need to stay. The old me would have run away in an instant. I made the decision to stay when everyone else was leaving. And I went to my directors and I said to them, because they, they had a sense that I was probably going to leave as well. And I said to them, I'm staying. Let's, let's give this thing a go. Things are challenging. People are leaving. This is going to be really hard, but I'm going to stay. And that was it. And a couple of days later, I got contacted by one of my directors and said, thank you for staying. We would like to give you a very, very big increase. I want to challenge you this morning. You need to make the godly decision, not the decision that, oh, just I feel I've got to go, or I feel I've got to stay. What is the godly decision? He wants to engage you in your boat this morning. For those of you sitting here this morning who do not have work and desperately need it, we need to still have the same view of work. And we need to be grateful for, to God for anything that He gives us, for everything that He gives us, and all the blessings that come with it. And we will pray this morning for blessing in the place of work, that you will find work in 2018. I'm going to ask you to stand. We are going to read a poem together. Well, I'll read it to you. It's probably easier. And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll end it and go have coffee, even though it's really hot. It's a, it's, a, it's a cheesy little poem, but actually it's really cool. It's called Making the World Better by a guy called John Piper. Work is a glorious thing. If you are starting to grow lazy, I summon you back to joy. I just want to encourage you with that first line. And summon you to work harder, to try more. Summon you back to joy. There is joy in the gift that God has given us called work. God made us for work. He formed our minds to think and our hands to make. He gave us strength, little or great, to be about the business of altering the way things are. This is what work is. Seeing the world, thinking of how it could be better, and doing something. From the writing of a note to the building of a boat, from the sewing of what you wear to the praying of a prayer. Come leave off sloth and idleness Become what you were made to be. Work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of work. Lord, I pray that through this mini-series, as we enter into 2018, Lord, will you begin to inform and transform our thinking about this thing called work. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to find our calling in where we're at, our vocation, that we don't just have to be a doctor or a lawyer or a pastor, but actually, Lord, wherever we're at, you're there with us, and what we are doing is of critical importance to you. We thank you this morning, Lord, for work, for the gift that it is. We pray, Lord, that we will make much of it, because by doing so, we glorify you. We worship you this morning, King Jesus. We thank you. Lord, for 2018, pray for those here today who do not have work. For those here, Lord God, that potentially looking at thinking, I don't care for a vocation. 
I didn't care for anything. I, I just, I need some, I need some food. Lord, we say thank you for blessings. We say thank you for work. Lord, we don't look to the economy. We don't look to the fact that things are changing so radically and some of us are not quite sure which way this thing is going. Lord, we look to you. <laughs> You're above it all. You're above it all. Say thank you, Lord, for work in 2018. Lord, I pray for those who are somewhere in the middle and not quite sure where they're at, where they need to stay, where they need to go, when things are hard, when their boss is terrible. Lord, I pray, would you guide them? I pray, would they begin to engage you in their boat? Worship you this morning, Lord Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray.